so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Fatherlessness is the sad reality for many children in our society. And not having an example, they grow up not knowing what a father should be or how a father should act. More importantly, they find it hard to relate to God as Father because of their experience. In light of this, Eric Mason discusses the importance of fathers and how God as Father should shape leadership in the home. We hope you are helped by this message. Amen. Um, Before we start, we want to thank the Lord God who unites us. How many of you glad the living God through Christ unites us as brothers and sisters in Christ? Amen. Also want to thank the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission for their commitment to uh, fighting for Christian values and culture and, um, and representing Christ and the body of Christ in many facets and through media and all the ways in which they have uh, worked tirelessly and difficultly um, over the years to do so many different things to bless the kingdom of Christ for the glory of God and also for the leadership of Dr. Russell Moore, the president. Let's give God a hand praise for them. All right. Well, um, my task tonight is to talk about a divine presence, how the fatherhood of God shapes leadership in the home. Let's uh, read a passage of scripture very, very expeditiously, and then I want to dig in with some observations from the text, and then we're gone. First Kings chapter 2. First Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through about the fourth verse. I'm reading from the CSB version of the Bible. First Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When you get there, say amen. If you're not ready, say hold up. Okay, okay. <laughs> the hold up was real strong. The hold up was real strong. <laughs> All right, I got to read hold up, people. Here we go. First Kings chapter 2. As the time, y'all don't mind standing, I'm old school. Y'all don't mind standing while I read this, right? All right, I'm a little old school on that one. As the time approached for David to die, he ordered his son Solomon, saying, as for for me, I am going the way of all the earth. Be strong and be a man and keep your obligation to the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to keep his statutes commands, ordinances, and decrees. This is written in the law of Moses so that you will have success. Somebody say success. In everything you do and wherever you turn. And so that the Lord will fulfill his promise that he made to me. If your sons guard their way to walk faithfully before me, 
with all their heart and all their soul, you will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. Again, my task is divine presence, how the fatherhood of God shapes leadership in the home. Father God, be with us today. Guide us, lead us, and keep us as we um, look at a topic that hopefully in a day and age like today with authentic challenges that are going on won't be polarizing but unifying. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable uh, in your sight. Oh God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. You may be seated. How the fatherhood of God shapes leadership in the home. Friend of mine, very, very good friend of mine. Uh, we have three sons. Oh, both of us have three sons. I have a daughter. He does it. He just has three sons. And so we were talking about our older sons and we, we were going through some challenges, thinking through shepherding our older sons and just feeling like nothing we're doing works to make them think about long-term consequences. You ever felt like teenagers just don't get long-term consequences? Uh, a matter of fact, do you remember when you were a silly teenager and you didn't get long-term consequences? And one of the things that he told me um, as we talked about this idea of long-term consequences, as he said, he, he went to a counselor and it took his family to a counselor. And one of the things um, that the counselor began to say is, and this was crazy to me, that men don't embrace long-term consequences until they're 25. I, I was rocked by that. You know, um, but then I thought back and I think uh, I got a church full of millennials. Our church is 90% millennials. And, and, and I thought about that, but and not just because they're millennials, but I think about many of us and thinking about those long-term consequences. And we began talking about how important it is for fathers to be present in their lives to help with the framing of long-term consequences. Um, the way my dad, my dad was a World War II veteran, Korean War veteran, uh, strapping man from the Jim Crow South. So he knew how to work his way around the kingdom of our home with the belt. And one of the ways in which he helped me to learn long-term consequences and embrace them was giving me some nice, blessed short-term consequences. Um, they seem pretty long because the old school whoopings is different than these new school, you know, things that we got going on, right? But as I look at this reality of this and as we come to what it means to help shape men, ladies, don't check out on me. I've been given this topic, but I don't want you to check out because I think it's important for you to hear about fathering sons uh, and, and, and listening to that and thinking through that and how you can be an encouragement to a man in your life about what it means to father a, a, a son or someone in your life. Whether you're single, you could help out with that as well and engaging that issue with people who have them. Um, but as we talk about this great issue about God's presence in the home through fathers is what I would call it and how God's fatherhood shaped fathers in the home. It's interesting or shapes parenting in the home. It's interesting, it reminds me of a book that came out in the 90s called Fatherless America. And in that book, Fatherless America, he began to talk about the different types of fathers. And one of the things that was extremely surprising to me is that this was written in the early to mid 90s, and he said 40% of all households were single parent homes. 
Now, when he began to say that, I was like, wow, that's a high number. Well, the number got higher when he began to walk through the different types of homes that existed. One of the types of homes he talked about was the unnecessary father. (laughs) He talked about the old father. He talked about the new father. He talked about the deadbeat dad. Excuse this next one, what he says. He calls it the blank donor, the donor that just helps a baby to be born. And then he talks about the stepfather and the nearby father. So when you look at those type of numbers, when you're talking about 40% of the families are single-parent homes in the 90s, you go from 40% of the families being single-parent homes to these substandard views of fatherhood that exist in the home, which would make the single-parenthood rate go up because it's possibly to be there but not be present. And so as we look at this crisis of this reality, before we get in this text real deeply, just one more thing. The Census Bureau reported and revealed that 62% of new moms in there, this is nowadays, moms in their early 20s are unmarried, 62%. The report also found that 36% of all moms were unwed in 2011. Then it says, it says up to 31% in 2005 in families with incomes of less than 10,000, that number goes up to 69%. And then then it says single moms are one of the most disadvantaged groups in the U.S. And this is cross-ethnically, this is not black, Hispanic, or Latino, this is cross-ethnic. It says nearly 30% of families have lived under the poverty line, according to the U.S. Census, are compared with 62% of uh, uh, families with married parents. Then it goes and it gives more stats. 18.4% of all births in the U.S. in 1980 were actually unmarried women. Now, 40.6% of all births in the U.S. as of 2008 were born to unmarried women. Doesn't mean the man was not necessarily present, but it says we're unmarried. 25 million children are growing up without fathers in the home. That's 40% of the kids in America, as reported by the Center for Children, And families, another thing as we dive into this, 40% of all live births in the U.S., 40% of living births are single mothers. 90% of welfare recipients are single mothers. 70% gang members are high school dropouts, teen suicides, teen pregnancies, and teen substance abusers come from single mom homes. And so it's not to beat up moms because we know that there are a lot of single moms who are going beast mode. So we not, I don't want y'all come up here. See, he misogynizing women and objectifying us and acting like we can't do nothing. And we've been raising y'all fools for centuries. And so don't even try, right? So I want you to walk out of here popping your neck. You know what I'm saying? What I'm saying? You know how y'all do. You know how I do. So I ain't trying to dog women. But what I am talking about is it's not about dogging women. It's about God's best for a household. And God's best for a household is not that people would singularly raise kids, but it would be this partnership between a husband and a wife, a man and a woman who were born as man and women, raising children together based on knowing Jesus Christ as Savior and walking in the process of challenges, of brokenness, to see the Christological cycle of the reinvigorating of the earth being filled with Jesus Christ's look alike. That's our call. And a man being present helps that to happen, i.e., my man David. I love David. My man David is, he's a grimy dude, you know. 
He's a multifaceted sort of guy. But one of the things, you see so many things about David that's very, very interesting. And we come to this passage where he's at the end of his life. And as he's at the end of his life, he's handing the kingdom over to his son from a, 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 from a relationship that started out as adultery. So we're beginning this whole situation with brokenness. Uh, 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 and, and, and as we get into this, David, still, and this is what we in these circles need to recognize, that even broke circumstances demands God's standards still be walked out. So when we come here, which comes to my first and only point when we talk about this, um, when we talk about this idea of how fatherhood of God shapes leadership in the home, number one and only point, men need training and clear direction by godly men. Thank you for that. Somebody said amen. Amen. Men need training and clear direction from godly men. Listen what David says. It says, at the time approached David, for David to die, he ordered his son Solomon. So David is laying on the bed. You know what I'm saying? He got his varicose veins going. Um... You know, he's covered up. I ain't trying to make fun of old people. I'm going to be there in a few years. And he, he, he got one of them big fly blank. I can see just a big fuzzy blanket on him for something he killed a long time ago, covering him, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And he orders his son, he orders his son to come in. And, and you have to understand, his son is walking into a historic room. There's a lot in that room because that dude, David, has experienced a whole lot of stuff. So walking into that room and knowing that when a king calls his prince into the room, he's about to pour some nuggets into his life so that he can be, and be nurtured in what he's supposed to be nurtured in. And one of the things that is unmistakable about David's life in the whole of his life is David experienced God fathering him. How do I know that he experienced God fathering him? Because David was rejected as having potential by his own father. If you look back at the story, you recognize that David's father wasn't feeling him. He was just a young buck, you know, around 12 years old. You know, one of his brothers should have been king when big Sam Sam came through. And Samuel was like, yo, man, you got another son after you went through all the sons? And he was like, well, it's, it's this young buck named David. But, you know, he out there, he said, bring him in. And as soon as he walked in, he knew that he was anointed to be king. And what happens in many men's lives is when they don't have that affirmation of a father, it's a point of brokenness in his life. And what happens and what I love about David in his life is that that brokenness that he didn't experience in being rejected as being having potential in his life. And when I talk about potential, I'm not talking about the power of positive thinking. I'm talking about God had been investing in him because any potential that we have starts with God and not us. None of our potential comes with none. But I'm not one of those people that think that believers don't have potential. I'm one of the people that believe in total depravity, but I believe total depravity isn't the end of our story. I believe that God invests in our lives and that he makes a divine investment in us and he nurtures and builds and uses suffering and brokenness and challenges to nurture in us the maximization and ability to be able to do exactly what he's called us to do. And so when you look here, all David's life 
He leaned into the Lord. And some of our experiences as men, particularly men who have broken backgrounds and you started walking with the Lord and you had the loneliness of a fatherless voice in your life and God has only been your voice. You pressed into him in prayer. You pressed in him to the word. You pressed in him in silent times and God has done nothing but invest in you and love you and fathered you. But that fathering was supposed to be a pipeline to be a father yourself. David has seen and experienced a lot in his life. He's had ups, he's had downs, he has experienced loneliness. He had to encourage himself in the Lord. He conquered great armies and giants. He was demonized by his mentor, throwing spears and things at him. He had to duck, playing a harp like, you gonna really do that? Um, even a guy that was supposed to be the father figure didn't become the father figure. And anybody ever experienced that? Anyway, don't say amen, it's okay. He developed solid relationships, but he failed a ton. He was a liar, he was an adulterer, and he was a murderer, and he was extremely prideful. And guess what? God fathered him through it all. So he comes here, and here is his son. What does he say to him? I love what David says to his son. Now notice that what David says to his son comes out of what he has experienced with God. I love what it says here. It says, as for me, I'm going the way of all the earth. He says, as, as, as big as a guy as I am, he said, I'm about to die. He says, be strong and be a man. I like this. This idea of be strong and be a man is almost like a, Hendiatus, if you will, but it's, it's a play on the reality of this call for having the ability to accomplish what is intended in your life. Being strong has to do with that, accomplishing what's intended. But then he says, and I like the New American Standard here where it says, show yourself a man. I, I like that. Uh, um, you'll hear that repeat in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13. What I like about that is when he says, be a man or show yourself a man, means that in the culture of all of David's brokenness, at some point in time, he invested in showing his son what it meant to be a man. I wonder if many of us in our, in our circles, if we would tell our sons, show yourself a man or be a man, would they know exactly what it was? Because many times we tell people stuff like, study your Bible and spend time with God and don't show them how. We say, go share the gospel, and people don't know how. Um, well, when you tell somebody and give them type of imperative, you better make sure that they know how to do that particular thing. And what's powerful about this idea of him showing himself a man, it's packed with so many different things that I only have 11 minutes to tell you. It says, the point here, of course, is for him to reject passivity. Men face conflict and don't run, day, uh, 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 Solomon. And again, this doesn't mean that we aren't argumentative and contentious. What it points to is it points to the fact that there are things in life that will try to take you out and take your heart, but you have to face them with the same as stout heart that God has called him to. And know what I like about what he's telling his son is he knows the maturity level of his son because earlier in the passage, he will begin to talk about earlier in 2 Chronicles 22, he says, David, my son Solomon is young and inexperienced. I like that. 
Because know what you know what that comes from? That means that David had a level of emotional presence in his home with his son where he knew exactly where his son was in his life and where he was in his interests and where he was in his maturity. Men, one of the things that God does in our lives in fathering us is God always knows where we are. And one of the things that God does is one of the things through the Spirit because of his work in Christ in the gospel is he's now taking up residence in our life and he doesn't just have omniscient presence of just knowing from the unapproachable light that he dwells in where we are. God, listen, actually enters into our experience in knowing where we are. We as men in reflecting the fatherhood of God that was revealed to us or exegeted by Jesus Christ, one of the things we have to do as men is we have to enter into our son's world. Oh my God, help me today. Let me just tell you this. So my oldest son, he's a science whiz. I'm not. He's into like these video games that back then, you know, we had two buttons and a joystick, you know, and you worked that thing. You know, now you got two joysticks, a trigger here, trigger here, button here, button here, and six other buttons, and then you got to be able to know the multiple combinations of each one to be able to know how to make the man kill this one and throw this one over here and do all of these different things. Now, many times, admittedly, I'm not interested in being in any of those video games in any of those situations because I, uh, my fingers hurt. (laughs) I get spasms and I need some magnesium. Right? (laughs) I'm just being honest. But you know what? I love him. So what I do is from a practical standpoint, I enter into his experience so that I can relate to him and have and build common ground with him so that as I'm building common ground with him, he'll leak on me. And I mean that in a godly way. What he'll do is he'll begin just talking and he don't know what he's saying. He don't know what's going to get him in trouble. You know, it's almost like truth serum. Time is like truth serum with my son. But as I begin to walk with him and hear from him, I can begin to see where his heart is. I can ask different questions. I can have him away. Like tomorrow, he wants to go see Venom tomorrow. I don't know if we're going to go see it, but I guess we're going to go see it. And this idea of David saying, my son is inexperienced, And guess what David did? Know what's amazing about his father's presence in his life that reflected God's presence in his life? Is that David knew that God told him not to build the temple. And David being told by God not to build the temple, but your son would build the temple, David pulled in favors from everywhere, from Lebanon to Sidon and Tyre and all of these different places and called in favors, even though he couldn't give those things direct. I mean, he couldn't build the temple himself. He made preparations so he could set his son up to win so that his son, when it was time for him to do what God called him to do, he was set up to win. Just like God set David up to win, David set uh, Solomon up to win. And that's beautiful things in In the midst of particularly David also knowing and Solomon actually knowing how messed up his dad was and he saw the tension in his life. He saw the bad side and he saw the good side. I'm going to say that two more times. He saw the bad side and the good side of his dad. One more time, he saw the bad side and the good side of his dad. But know what he saw? 
He saw in the life of his father, as he's talking about manhood, a culture of repentance. Somebody say repentance. One of the most important things that we can do as fathers is not try to act like we're trying to tell them to be perfect, but they know we're not. Mm -mm, Somebody should have shouted on that part because you know it's true in your life. And many of us as fathers have to be available in our children's life to be able to repent. And Solomon, during the course of his father's life, knew about his repentance because his repentance was on paper. (laughs) And so it was no way that he could get around that reality in recognizing that as God's presence in his life. Ultimately, when we talk about show yourself a man, which David says, no one showed the fatherhood of God like Jesus did. Bible said in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And then verse 14 says, and the word became flesh and skaneod or dwelt among us or pitched a tent. And we beheld his glory, verse 18, glory as the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth, he explained him. I love that because that's where we get our word exegete from. In other words, Jesus Christ exegetes God the Father and he explains God the Father in his incarnation to us. And what the Bible says is that no one knew God at any time except for the only begotten God that's in the bosom in eternal fellowship with the Father. So it points back to Jesus' eternal sonship, yet practically lays out how his time with the Father of chilling, hanging out with the Father, building with the Father, he had the ability to explain the Father because he was in the presence of the Father, which now Jesus Christ becomes the prototype of what it looks like for a man to receive from the Father. We are supposed to be responsible to the Christocentric, Christological realities of our Messiah eternally absorbing from the Father and in his incarnation pulling from the Father. Now, if Jesus in his incarnation needed to talk to the Father, if Jesus in his incarnation needed to pray to the Father, if Jesus in his incarnation needed to trust the Father, you and I know doggone well that all of us jokers up in here need to have all kinds of talks with the Father. That's so important for us. And one of the things that we see that the Father does for Jesus, just like God affirmed David as a type of Christ, he did the same for Jesus as the actual Christ. One of the things we see that the Father affirm in Matthew 3, 17, is he says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Oh my God. Guess what? In our children's lives, gentlemen, we give them several things and I'm out your way. We give them a sense of dignity. We affirm their dignity, um, equaling value. Tell our sons what they are worth. Number two, we tell them their significance, their purpose. Remind sons why they are here and identity. Who am I? Tell sons who they are. Listen, one of the things particularly when kids get older, if you live in a certain type of Christian home, usually your kids are interested all the way up to about 12 years old in everything Christian. Then sometimes, and most of the times, it's based on stats, there's almost this shift where kids aren't as overtly interested. There's some that show that special interest, and you continue and you be thankful for that. But for those who have kids in their teen years who are not necessarily wilding out but not showing that in-depth interest, you have to continue as a parent 
to pour those things into them whether you think they're listening or not. And as you begin to do that and you plant those seeds of dignity, those seeds of significance, those seeds of identity, that doesn't mean you teach them total depravity all day. Many of us are, uh, the center of our gospel is total depravity. And that's not the gospel. The gospel, total depravity shows us our need for the gospel, not a place we should stay in functionally and practically as we pursue holiness. And so as you raise children, one of the things we have to raise children is we acknowledge our sin, but we also point to, if they're not a Christian, you point them to who they are, what would be in Christ. This is what you would be if you was in the Lord Jesus Christ. If they are a believer and they've made a profession of faith, you tell them who they are in Christ. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And that's what David begins to do. He begins to lay a mantle on his son. That's beautiful. <coughs> he lays a mantle on his son. He says to him, he says, and keep your obligation, he says, your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his statutes, commands, ordinances, and decrees. Uh, he says, the law, this, is, this is written in the law of Moses so that you will have success in everything you do and wherever you turn it's, uh, so that the Lord will fulfill his promise that he made to me. And then he goes down further from that. These things are things you need to pour into your children. I'm done. Character, competency, commitment, compatibility, and capacity. Let me say that again. Character, competency, commitment, compatibility, and capacity. Character pointing in the ways in which they should walk, like he's talking about. Competency, skill to lead, which he tells his son about his need to be experienced and wise, or chokmah. Commitment, his obligation to the Lord and his obligation in every area of life. Compatibility, that wisdom of what you are gifted to do and where you are to plug it in at, and capacity. Success has to do with capacity. What you have in your sphere that God has anointed you to accomplish on a particular level, do it. One of the things that I think about, my father passed last year. And one of the things that I realized is the older I get, the more I realize how much I didn't listen. But the other thing I realized is how much he deposited. And there were things today that I thought my father was a fool about and a joker about that's playing reverbs in my soul as God's nurturing in my presence, those things which I thought I ignored that I planted, that was planted within me. My prayer for us as men is that we would go hard to work, hard to work at raising our sons to be beast mode missionaries for Jesus Christ. And on a practical level, it'll be sexy to your wife. God bless you. Thanks for listening to the ERLC podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Podcast, or Spotify, and leave us a review. And join us next week as we learn about multi-ethnic ministry.